0: Welcome to Blink of an Eye, life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down, and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope, and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything.
1: Episode 10, What to Say. August 7th, Day 3. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Oh, my Lord, Dutch. Pete, what time is it? I asked my oldest son, still reading to Archer from Sue Chef, the book about the New York City restaurant. Mr. Lepler, the director of West End House Camp, is going to call soon about Dutch. Dang. I'd rested my phone on the counter on the other side of Archer's hospital room while I massaged Archer's feet to make sure the boots we put on him were not pinching his skin in any way. I know you might think that's crazy, but... I do think he'll walk again. I do. It came to me as I massaged his feet and watched how limply they flopped to the sides. I wondered if they might get stuck in that position, you know? So I asked one of the staff. I think he said he was a physical therapist. Honestly, they just come in and out so briefly, and there are so many medical staff in and out today. I'm not sure. They did bring me a pair of gigantic, bulky, orthopedic boots with Velcro, but it was hard to know if I strapped them on too tight. Just hard to tell, you know, when Archer can't give us any feedback, even if he could talk. I reached for my phone to look to see who may have called, and sure enough, I had a text that the summer camp director would have Dutch, our youngest son, available soon and would call Billy was back from wherever he went thank goodness and poked his head in that he'd be waiting in the family waiting room I grabbed my personal journal off the counter and went around the corner to join him you know as I walked that small distance thinking about our upcoming call with Dutch I realized how weary I was Have you ever had that awareness of just how tired you are, but you just keep walking and it sort of goes away? I walked into the family waiting room. I bet you can picture it by now, right? There were plastic food and candy wrappers from the vending machines everywhere. The one small trash can overflowing. There was a man I didn't recognize trying to sleep awkwardly on the hard upholstered furniture. But other than him, I scanned the room and no one else was in there. Not even some of the characters from Atlantic City. But it was late morning. I did note that the Hispanic family wasn't there. I wonder where they were. Anyway, Steve Lepler was about to call and Billy and I found the two furthest most chairs from the guy on the two-seater sofa. I didn't want to disturb him. There was just really no other place to go for privacy. Billy and I had carefully written out a little script of what we were going to say to Dutch. I had it on a piece of notebook paper torn from my personal journal from Walgreens. Earlier this morning, Billy had shown me his list and I had shown him mine of what we had wanted to say. We compared and saw that we had each written down a lot of the same things we wanted to say. We also had to negotiate a little. I wanted to be ginger about it because I felt it was a feat that Billy had consented to tell Dutch about Archer at this time, rather than waiting until he returned from camp in a couple weeks. Billy and I have danced many different rhythms together over the years when it comes to marital negotiations. And some dances, it took us a while to figure out. But one of the many steps we try to do first regarding important decisions is to start with our goals. We learned that when we were buying our home many years ago. It's sort of a two-step, actually. You know what I mean? I mean, you might do that, too. I was glad we both remembered that two-step now. Okay, so we compared goals. Yes, we both wanted to stay on track. Okay, that's good. Yes, we both wanted to give Dutch assurance. That's good, too. Mm. Billy was very worried about giving Dutch assurance too much information. I wanted to respect that and not but, and I also wanted to be able to answer any questions truthfully that Dutch might have. I knew Dutch and I knew he'd have questions. I had touched base with Steve on the phone last evening when he got back to me. He had told me he'd get Dutch this morning after the morning activity at the lake when there was a lull. I had asked Steve to be by Dutch's side and to watch him closely after we talked with him and to please keep his eye on him over the next couple days. I'd wanted to talk with Dutch as soon as possible when he'd have support. It was killing me that I could not be there myself to tell Dutch in person. I interviewed Steve Lepler recently as part of the Look Back, and we talked about the dilemma Billy and I were in five years ago when we wanted to talk with Dutch.
2: The couple of things that, that really resonate with me is that, you know, there are a lot of kids like Dutch who come to camp and, you know, loving it. Maybe they're a little homesick at the beginning, but they get over it. That's part of the process. But Dutch like, from, was full steam ahead from the start of his first year. And in his second year, he clearly wanted to stay longer.
1: Yes, Dutch had gone to camp last year up in Maine for the first time. He had returned to camp this year for the first two-week session in June. When Billy and Paula picked him up with plans to hike the White Mountains in New Hampshire for a week, he pleaded to stay at camp the entire rest of the summer. It was awkward because, well, because Billy and Paula had been carefully planning this trip, taking time off work to go, which mountains they would climb, Mount Takura, I think it was the one, and where they would stake their tents. And Billy and I had thought it would be a special trip for our oldest and our youngest because Paula was turning 25 and, you know, as the kids are getting older, It's harder to plan week-long events because of work and life. And so it was a big deal. And if Dutch stayed at camp, he'd miss that experience. And if he stayed, it would be his first ever camp experience away for more than two weeks. And he was talking about eight weeks. And camp is not cheap. And we had a big family trip planned to drive to Illinois for my mom's birthday in July. And that had taken a lot of coordination with the big kids. And Maryland is a long drive from Maine to go up and then back and then up again. And ugh, I was part of all this because Billy had me on the phone as he felt they had to make this on-the-spot decision as they stood in the woods in the little camp parking lot near the West End Headquarters cabin on a Saturday morning on the cell phone with me, with Dutch pleading, Have you ever been in such a situation? One thing was clear, though. Dutch had fallen in love with this camp. I knew that from the past year but I had never heard him ask so fervently for anything. I mean, not even candy in the checkout line at the grocery store when he was younger. And I almost always said no anyway. Mean mommy, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. But I wanted my children to learn self-restraint and delayed gratification. (laughs) I did. Anyway, I listened carefully to his pleas over the phone. And when he said, mama, please. Or could I at least come back for color war? I felt that little hit I get when I mediate, when there is new information shared. So I paused and I asked, what is color war? I had never heard of it.
3: I think it's a little too hard to explain. Anyone who's been to camp probably knows what it is only they should know what it is, because other people don't deserve it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, not everybody goes I to a camp that plays Color War.
3: <laughs> uh, there's a lot of camps that have it. Yeah? Yeah, I definitely know a lot of camps that have it. But yeah, our camp is definitely more unique, because we're like strictly a sports game. So if you want to know what Color War it is, it's just a war between two teams. The whole camp gets split up into two teams, and they, Every sports game is worth a certain amount of points. Every blank is worth a certain amount of points. And there's all sorts of competition. At the end of five days, one team wins and one team loses.
1: So it's a five day event, all camp, all day, all night long kind of thing?
3: All day, all night long. Can't talk in the mess hall. Can't Can't practice at all. Very strict, very serious. And as I recall, how does it start? Day zero is what the start day is called. No one knows when it is because it starts at a random time in the last two weeks. with some sort of announcement. I think my first year they used like a drone with like confetti coming out of it and then someone screamed.
1: So I got the message color war was a famous camp tradition that only happens sometime in the last session of camp and that is what dutch really wanted to return for and be a part of okay if you've ever been to camp especially if you were a returning camper at your camp i imagine you understand this desire to return because That's one of the wonderful things about summer camp. Most have fun, wonderful, and memorable traditions that keep campers wanting to come back because those traditions instill unforgettable growing up memories. I mean, I get it. I had some wonderful summer camp experience myself when I was a girl. But it was awkward, and I knew Billy was waiting on my input. Dutch quieted down and waited patiently on our deliberations. Mr. Leppler offered us a discount to return, and we agreed. Dutch would return right after Grandma Paula's birthday party so he could spend the last four weeks of camp back in Maine to participate in color war. He was over the moon. All I heard about from Dutch the rest of July was the sixth day all-camp, Olympic-like, highly competitive team sports highlight of the summer that the other campers had told him about so much. Color War. He was all in and very psyched. Oh, but it's a big camp secret as to the exact day and time Color War will kick off which builds the suspense as the boys wait in anticipation. So last night, when I spoke with Steve, I made the bold move of asking him when color war would start. I understood and respected the reason for this camp secret. But I really needed to know when color war would start because We either want a Dutch with us if color war wasn't going to start for a while or to know he could stay if it were to start soon.
2: I I can tell you, but it's top secret. (laughs) (laughs) I'll have to kill
1: you. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And uh, you said that. You You kept your word. You didn't tell anybody as far as I know. No, I I, cross my heart, hope to die. You know, it's no (laughs) needle in my eye. Well, most of all, I just wanted Dutch to have the color war experience he had returned to camp to be a part of for the first time. And I know Billy did too. Dutch had found something he really loved, this camp. Billy had loved his summer camp experience in Maine too when he was a boy. Well, I guess what was really concerning me most of all is that I didn't want Dutch's zest for his camp experience to be dampened or even ruined by the news we had to tell him. You know how that is, right? Like when someone you love dies, for instance, around a holiday time. It's just not the same for a while, right? Like a year or two or three. I knew this. And a boy's time at camp is for such a limited few years in his growing up. Steve graciously told me color war was slated to start in two days. Oh, thank you, Steve, for trusting me with the camp secret. That helped Billy and me a lot to make the right decision for us to know we could support and even encourage Dutch to stay rather than insist on his coming back.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I I remember it vividly, you know, both, you know, I remember everything that happens at camp and I really, it's a small camp. So I really get to know everybody. And, you know, I remember my first conversations with you and with, uh, with Bill and then meeting Dutch. But when I do remember, I think the summer of 2015 He signed up for like a split session. He came for the first two weeks. We were an eight week camp and then he went hiking with Bill, I think in the white mountains. And then he came back, you know, at the midway point and was with us from the second part of the summer, which was roughly July 22nd or 20th, give or take to, you know, August 18th, give or take. And so I remember it was a great, a great hike and great time with the family, but then coming back, he was so excited. And then it was probably about a week and a half later, a couple of weeks later, that I got the call from you I, uh, saying something terrible has happened. I want to give you a heads up in the information, and I want to work with you to figure out the best way to break it to Dutch. And I want you to be there to be supportive of him after he hears the news. And I think part of the other discussion was like we said, okay, let's think about does he want to come home? Does he want to stay there? And we sort of brainstormed about what's the best way to proceed in that regard.
1: Yep. We were trying hard to decide what to say. It can really help to check in with others who will be close to your child, I think, when and if you have to deliver very difficult news. I was just so relieved Billy had agreed we should tell him. You know what's sort of amazing? Remember my friend, Lisa Melanson, whom I introduced you to, the mom of one of Dutch's dear Baltimore friends? Well, Lisa and I had been texting back and forth that morning about Dutch.
0: You know, I immediately went to Dutch and, you know, he's just a kid. And how is he gonna handle this? You know, Dutch being the youngest of the family. And I know that you and, and every, it, you know, the other siblings were all trying to hold it together. And it was sort of like, who's gonna take care of Dutch? And I felt like maybe that's where I can come in and be helpful in that way because I really wanted to do something that i could actually you know do and like be busy doing yeah and i still remember him being at camp yeah because
1: i then got back to you and it's because of our text exchange that i am able to fill in the pieces Mm -hmm. of what actually happened that day with our thinking Mm -hmm. and like when our, our I remember Billy and I were really back and forth on calling Dutch, not calling Dutch, telling Dutch, not telling Dutch. And, and so I laid out everything that happened in a text to you. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, how we contacted his camp director. And, and then I laid out the exact conversation. He was only 12 or I guess he had just turned 13, but oh my gosh. Dutch was still so young, but thanks to those texts, I'll tell you exactly what happened. Oh, first let me tell you that Billy and I had agreed, thank the Lord, that we would let Dutch decide whether to stay at camp or come home. My phone was ringing and Steve Lepler's name came up on my caller ID display. I felt my heart beating rather hard. I answered, and Steve said, Hang on, I'm getting Dutch. It was so weird as I looked at Billy, and I looked around the institutional setting we were in and thought of Dutch in woodsy Maine with the pine needles under his feet, walking on a path from the lake.
2: So sad that it had happened, and, you know, but wanted to help in any way I could to make a difficult situation bearable or do it in the right way. So I remember we strategized, and I think you said something like, after, why, don't, why don't after the next meal, call him up and we'll plan a phone call, and I had him talk privately with you, and I knew what you were going to say.
1: I really felt my pulse quicken, and my heart got more fluttery. I was nervous. I took a few deep belly breaths. I could hear Steve and Dutch crunching along as they walked and talking as they must have been walking to a place of privacy. (sighs) Dutch had just turned 13, and before he left for camp in June, his voice had started to change. It took my breath away how much Older he sounded. Life changes so quickly. Steve handed Dutch his cell phone. Hi, Ma. Mr. Leppler says you wanted to talk with me. Is everything okay? Hello, darling. Dad is here with me. We're sorry to bother you at camp. I know you must be getting excited for color war. No, sweetheart. Everything's not okay, but it's going to be okay. We wanted to let you know that Archer had a bad accident in Cape May. He dove in the ocean and broke part of his neck. We're in the hospital with him now. He had surgery early yesterday morning. That's horrible, Dutch said. Of course he would respond that way. He is so loving. I continued looking at our script. We wanted to let you know as soon as possible. But we also know Color War is coming up. and wanted to let you know it's okay if you want to stay at camp and we can keep you posted. We can pick you up after Color War and when camp is over. Or we can come and get you now or anytime. And bring you back to new jersey that's where we are but staying is fine it's horrible
4: dutch said again is he going to be okay dutch asked
1: yes he's going to be okay but we really don't know a whole lot yet he's badly injured and he had neck surgery yesterday, early morning. And I called to talk with you. And Mr. Lepler helped us with this being a good time to talk with you. Archer's resting, and we hope he's gonna be okay.
4: There was great silence on the line. He asked, He'll be better, right? I said. Yes,
1: darling, with time and many prayers, there was more great silence. I had to really grit my teeth not to break down. My mind was racing. You know how it is when you finally talk with someone you love a lot and whom you know loves you? It's like It's like being home, you know, and you just can sort of break down. You know what I mean? But I didn't want to do that. He's just a boy. I needed to tell him and be the adult. After another long
4: silence, he asked, how
1: long will it be before he's better? And I said, Oh, a while. I knew the door was open into the territory Billy feared. So I said, But he's in very good care, and the prayers for him are strong. And I need you to say some prayers, okay? Hey, are there any Catholic kids at camp? And he said, Not really. Most of my friends are Jewish. And I said, Wow! get your Jewish friends, God loves all of us, and say a prayer together. Will you do that? Will you get your friends to say a prayer with you? And it's okay to stay at camp if you'd like. We can touch base after Color War. We know you've been looking forward to all the games. And I added, Tachi, you can call us anytime. Just ask Mr. Lepler. But we want you to have fun at Color War. There was more silence. I then added, when color war is over, Dewey can come and pick you up.
4: More silence.
1: He then said, so then you're coming too, right? And we'll go to Saratoga and then home? That was our original plan. Camp ended just at the time of the Saratoga meet, the horse races, in August each year, and my brother, Will, was a trainer. The plan was I would drive to Maine, stopping in Boston or Connecticut along the way, pick up Dutch, and then he and I would go to Saratoga, New York, to see Uncle Will for a few days before heading back home. It was really picking up on the tradition all the children and I had been doing every August since they had been very young. His question raced through my head as I had not even thought about those plans. I said, oh, no, darling, we won't be able to do that part this year. More silence. Well, I said, it sounds like we may have hatched a plan that you'll stay at camp and Dewey will get you. And he said, no, I'm just thinking about it. It surprised me and it didn't surprise me. Touch is very thoughtful. Okay, I said.
4: I took that in and paused and then said, That's good. That's fine.
1: Whatever you decide. And I added, knowing Dutch weighs things before he decides. He does this sort of back-and-forth thing in his mind. He's like that. Dutchy, you don't have to decide right now. I talk with Mr. Leppler, and he knows. You might also want to talk with Mr. Leppler. He's a good resource, and I know he cares about you. And then you can call me, whatever you decide. Dad and I just know how much you wanted to be there for Color War, and we will be with Archer, and then you can join us. He said, if I stay, can I call you every day? I said, yes, of course, darling. But I added, but you also don't have to. I had this flash of what I have felt for so many years in my imaginings about the children of my angriest and most self-absorbed divorce mediation clients. Children are so burdened by their parents' anxiety, having to call or talk with a parent who so desperately wants to maintain a connection, but somehow that burden gets shifted to the child who has to stop whatever he or she is naturally doing during childhood to make a phone call because it was required. I've thought over the years how disruptive that must be in their lives. I did not want anything like that for Dutch, thinking he had to call us now. If he called, I wanted it to be for his benefit. So I added, Dutchie, of course you can call anytime, sweetheart. But Dad and I don't expect you to, okay? We want you to have a great time at camp. Archer has very good care. What we need are your prayers. And he said, sounding more grounded, maybe more relieved, but still working it out in his head. Okay. Mama, if I stay, but then decide to come home before camp is over, I said, no problem. Dewey will drive up and get you. Whew. So that is how it was the day we talked with Dutch. You know, I have wondered how it was for Dutch that day.
2: So afterwards I sort of went up to him and we sort of took a little walk and I said, you know, I, I have a heads up on this. I'm so sorry. I don't know exactly. I think you was sort of, Gave some details, but were somewhat vague on it because one, you didn't know, and two, you didn't want to overly alert him. I think that you made it sound serious, but not as as potentially serious as it ended up being. But so I do remember him. I think teary eyed. I think I walked with him, gave him a hug. He, I think he towered over me even then. So I, you know, I reached up to give him a hug, and I, I sort of said like. Do you want, you know, just let it digest a little bit. Think about, do you want me to share this with other people here? How can we be supportive of you? I know, so come to me whenever you want. And I think at that point, I had sort of, he, he had sort of said, like, don't make a big deal about it here. I can carry on.
1: We'll never really know if we did it well or not, or if we could have done better. Billy and I broke the news as best and as honestly and as appropriately as we were able back then. We didn't have that much information. Everything was so new and upside down. Oh, I should also tell you though, it was not a one and done call with Dutch. I spoke with him again the next day and the day after that, just to check in and be sure. You know, as they say in Baltimore with the Orioles, it ain't over till it's over.
2: And I think at that point, I had sort of, he, he had sort of said, I'd rather stay and, and be part of the second part of the season, which includes our big color war, which he had never done before, which is very fun and important to people. So that was sort of my initial recollection of breaking the news to him.
1: Dutch and I recently met as part of our look back for the first time five years later to talk about that call. We've talked about so many things, Dutch and I, but you know, we really haven't talked much, if at all, about when Dutch learned about Archer or when he first saw Archer, but that's a story for another day. Dutch was willing to be interviewed, which I thought was really courageous of him, but he was uncertain if he wanted to talk about it too much, so we agreed we'd stop here. Here's an excerpt of our interview. Uh, Pretty close to the day actually, five years ago when Archer was injured, and we haven't had really any time or taken the opportunity to talk about it. You were away at camp deep in the woods of Maine. Yeah. So that summer of 2015, you were back up at camp for Color War, right? Correct. Yeah, we knew how important it was to you. And that's what it was like that summer? That was the drone summer? Because that was your yeah, first? Yeah,
3: that was my first. Mm-hmm. And then you run all the way up the inner path, which is like this long path up to like the fields. It's all uphill. It's tough. But I remember that was like very first year in it. It was a morning start, so the whole day. So that that year was actually six days long because day zero doesn't count. So I it's called day zero. So that day started early, and, yeah, that year was good. We won. Blue hustle.
1: I think that might be that Wayne Color War that year might be one of the, from a parent's perspective, one of the reasons why you so wanted to go back every year thereafter. Color war it was in your blood.
3: Yeah, I think camp also just was a good place where I could not be Dutch Stamps of the Stamps family. Why, what, what could you be when you were camp? The one kid from Maryland that nobody actually knows about.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <No. laughs> right. Yeah, it, where do the kids come from at this camp predominantly? Mass. Massachusetts. In a particular place in Massachusetts or just all over the a whole, a whole state. A whole state. So you were rather unique up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You like that.
3: I do like to be unique.
1: So Color War hadn't started yet when Archer was injured. Yep. That's correct. That it is. And I... You probably don't even know some of these things, but you were very much on our mind, like me to tell Dutch, and I knew you were up there for Color War, and how that was like the main event, and why you wanted so badly to go back, and it was how we got a hold of you, right in the woods, and it's funny because there it wasn't even that easy, right, to
3: talk on the phone or You're not technically allowed and you're not allowed to yeah it's like strictly unless it's like
1: bad yeah right unless it's
3: bad so
1: that's interesting because I reached out to Steve your camp director and sent him a text said we need to talk with Dutch and please call me first don't go find Dutch need to speak to you first you probably never knew that, did you? Makes sense, though. Mm -hmm. I sent him a text, too, that said something like, you know, in strictest confidence, you must not speak to anybody else.
3: I remember afterwards, Steve asked me if I wanted the camp to know, and I said no. I think some some kids did find out. I never wanted anything special.
1: So I called you, and it was Steve arranged for me to talk to you. He had to, like, literally, you know, make arrangements for it. Where were you when I talked to you?
3: I was called away from, I think it was some waterfront activity, so, like, kayaking or something. You
1: know, that's exactly I think it
3: was kayaking, actually.
1: Because I'm remembering now, we, we... you know, we sort of planned when could I see Dutch, and he kind of went through your schedule, and it was kind of like uh, can't do it while he's playing sports. Right, we'll get him while he's kayaking. He can't while he's on the water. When he's on the water, yeah, that's right. Because if you had left while you were playing sports, the team, you know, is also team oriented. That's exactly
0: right.
3: Normally, they would call you like over like the intercom, be like Dutch, sense. I'm pretty sure I actually didn't get, like, one of the directors just came and got me personally. Other than, like, announcing it to the whole camp. So they they used some real discretion. You asked for
1: -hmm. it? I did. Yeah, I did. I thought that it would, I just didn't know Dutch. And I wanted you, I wanted to be responsive to you. So when we, so that call, i do remember what i said to you i told you archer had been in an accident Mm -hmm. i wanted to let you know he's been hurt and we're in the hospital remember that and i said we could come get you if you'd like to come back we're in atlantic city or you could stay at camp and i know color war is uh, coming up and Steve had told me when Color War was going to start, when I, when I called him also to talk with you. Makes sense. And he, and he said, too, uh, no one knows this. No one's supposed to know this. And I said, I totally understand. And he said, it's, it's going it's to start, you know.
3: It was within like 48 hours.
1: Exactly. He said, it's going to start in the next 48 hours. That's exactly what he said. No, I couldn't tell you that, but I simply said, call I know that you're up there for color war, do you wanna stay. And when it's over, we can come get you early, or we can come get you at the end of camp. I was just giving you different options.
3: Makes sense. I said I stayed till the end of camp.
1: Yes. Dutch decided to stay at camp. I know Billy was relieved. Dutch made the decision. I know I was relieved. I remember wanting to call Dutch back and tell him, I think you made a wise decision, son, even though I was not sure what was the best decision back then. It could have gone either way. I just know Billy and I, we were doing the best we could, talking things through.
4: It's a surprise and
2: you know, and I think that, that for De- my perspective of Dutch and how it all fits in this is that he really thanked you and your family for letting him do that. And because otherwise the whole year you think, oh, I'm really sad about Archer. And plus I didn't get to do Color War for a 13 year old boy or 12 year old boy, however old. You know, he might have said, oh, you know, he would have dealt with it, but it's like he sort of accomplished a lot of things there. He got to do something that was important to him, something that he had imagined doing for a couple of years, something in, real, in retrospect, he was able to do what he needed to do, still within the backdrop of knowing what was happening in, with Archer. And then when the time was right, after Color War, when he left, you guys broke it to him the way... With, based on the reality of that time. And he was able to see it and sort of experience it and didn't miss anything, still had plenty of time to be helpful and be part of the family and go through the process with the family. So I, I think it, you know, it, it, it was, we handled it the right way, even though it was difficult. And so in retrospect, as we all
4: think about it, five years later,
1: I will perhaps never know what impact the call had on Dutch. It did take a month of gentle asks of Dutch for a 20-minute interview. He's 18 now. You know, trauma is like that. It really takes time to metabolize. Years. If you're lucky, you go through it, unbearable as it is, until you are on the other side. You can't sidestep it. It's a crazy thing, but what I've learned and experienced, I wouldn't wish a situation like ours on anyone. But more importantly, I wouldn't wish sidestepping a trauma or major loss on anyone. I wouldn't. I wouldn't wish going around it or bypassing it or even pretending you have dealt with it when you haven't on anyone at least for the long run, of health and well-being. And I mean that for you, too. Because if you do a bypass or a Band-Aid or a pretend for too long, it'll take its toll. At best, you get by. At worst, it makes you distant, really far away, disconnected and Others might or might not even know this, but you get disconnected from yourself and your own life force. A bypass or a long-term pretend, you know, I'm fine, or what are you talking about, tends to close you down, causes depression, or makes you irritable, or how about the, I don't want to talk about it can make you angry and volatile. Others see it, even if you are not aware of that. You know what I mean? And statements like those, they're signposts of a choice to wake up and take care of yourself. Because these signs, they're just the old, unprocessed, unmetabolized, unhealed, unforgiven wounds of trauma and loss and deep hurts and they may be years and years old and they can wreak havoc on your health not just your mental health but your organs in your body the body keeps the score for how well we are doing i think Oof, i prayed my little duchy would be okay i also prayed That Billy and I did the right thing, telling him as soon as we could, and that we said the right thing. Did we, Lord? Well, if we didn't, please give Dutch the strength to go
4: through it and not around it. And Lord,
1: please continue to guide me. There's just never a good time to deliver painful news. In my interview with Steve Lepler, I was struck by what he had to say about Dutch. You know, it's always so illuminating to get a glimpse of the way others see your children. You can always tell who loves your kids, can't you? I could tell Steve cared deeply for Dutch. And that's what a parent wants the most for their child, isn't it? That they are loved and feel loved. The next year, he stayed for eight weeks, and then he continued to stay for eight
2: weeks the last couple of years as a, as a camper and then as a counselor. Yeah, that, sort of that's my recollection that, you know, Dutch has always been a soft-spoken guy, but a quiet leader. And I remember Dutch, you know, just sort of setting goals for himself. And he would talk about this to me and to you, like he wanted to come for eight weeks and he wanted to be elite eight. And then he wanted to be a high senior captain of Color War. And, uh, you know, it happened with Color War being high senior captain of the white team. And I think the next year he said, I want to be a Desert War coach, which is another event we do in the first part of the summer. And he sort of proved himself to all the leaders who helped choose that. And so he was selected for that and did a good job. And I think another goal was for him to be a color war coach, which is a big deal. But because of his schedule, where he had to leave early, kind of in the middle of color war, that has not yet been possible. But, you know, who knows in the
1: future? I'd come pick him up every every summer. And I tell you, he would bring me into your mess hall and he would point to me. Point, you know, point up and show me every single one of those plaques, you know, those uh, just, you know, just crude, perfect camp, like, you know, out of the woods plaques, you know, that have have been like burned in with the, or painted in with the names. And he yeah, was, was like, and, and he was so admiring of each of the captains. And he told me I'm going to be up there. You
2: know, yeah, and he is, cool. he's, he, you know, there's color war plaques that go back, the camp goes back to 1908, but color war plaques go back to 1955. And it's the blue versus the white, our camp colors, as you can see. And if the blue team, it's a six day competition. If the blue team wins, the, pa- the plaque is painted blue with the team nickname and the high senior captains. If it's if the white team wins, it's painted white. So um, Dutch is on there, 2017, it's painted blue because his team didn't win. It was a close color war. But his name, DeSempt, is up there forever.
1: That was kind of Steve to say. Thank you, Steve. That's all a parent really wants, isn't it? That those whom we entrust with the care of our children really see them for all their potential. You know, whatever Dutch had decided, either way, to stay or for us to come get him early would have been acceptable to Billy and me. It was the giving him the information and allowing him to make a decision for himself that I felt guided on. It wasn't easy. But you know, I felt in my heart that it was not just for Dutch, but for our whole family and for all our children that we would go through this together and whatever happened, that they would also live their own lives and we'd still be together. I can't quite explain it to you as well as I'd like, but I just had this feeling, this knowing that I, as the mother had to do all I could that our family go through whatever this was together and not go around it. I mean, we might fall, but I didn't want us to fall apart. And we might fake it till we make it on some things, but only as a temporary Band-Aid while we are getting strong enough to be vulnerable enough to do the real hard luck work. Now, I say that last part in hindsight because I had no idea then of what lay ahead. That day, what I knew and felt in every cell of my body, and I jotted it down in my notebook, is that we needed to be together. We needed each other. We needed to be our family, and we needed to go through this together, whatever it was. When I called Dutch that next day, I told him the same thing, that I wanted us to all be together and that we would be. I told him to have a great time at color war. Oh, Archer, sweetheart, we are not leaving you for a moment. You're stuck with us. And we are stuck with each other in good times and through bad.
4: What to say? Please guide me, Lord. Life can change in the
1: blink of an eye. How do you break bad news to kids? It's tough. You know, as a transformative mediator, I have been raising that question for years to families who are divorcing and those in trust and estates battles, as it seems to come up a lot. It's funny because for us as adults, when we are wrapped up in adult matters of real consequence, let's call it overwhelm or conflict. Basically, what swoops in unasked for and occupies most of the rooms of our psychic house all day, you know what I mean takes up all your thoughts, all your emotions, all your energy. It's easy to overlook the opportunity to share difficult news with others, especially children, and more especially, our own children. It's easy to forget that we even need to tell them and tell them in ways that might promote healing, ways that might allow them the gift of working through their pain and not being saddled with carrying adult pain that is not theirs to bear. There are no better messengers than the parents themselves for sharing painful family news with children. That's one belief I hold on this subject. There is no better team than both parents together. Whether they love each other, hate each other, or are ambivalent to each other, to share painful or hard news with their children. That's another tenant I hold dearly, although others might choose differently, and I certainly respect that. But kids have a right to know the truth at a level that they can process, that is age appropriate. And a family meeting together really cuts down immensely on incorrect information, exaggerated information, or incomplete information. And it's a good stopgap for triangling. Adult boundaries, oh, they're so key. Who's the child and who's the adult? It's so easy to put ourselves first over our kids and even over our spouse because It's part of our human condition and conflict that we get self-absorbed. It is. It's just human. And it happens to all of us. But that short-term self-interest can come at a great price long-term to the family unit if it's the regular way of operating. Not talking about something important or talking too much about something important can really blur healthy boundaries. But we all have incredible capacity to rebound out of being self-absorbed and to think of others like our children. Even when our own lives seem like they are crumbling or caving in, we do. We can crumble and still be strong. All of us as parents want and need to knit together safety nets for our children. And those safety nets? our truthful information, appropriate, of course, and the entrusted people in their lives. That's the best we can do for our kids in difficult situations. Or even catastrophic news to a child, your child, you might consider alerting their teacher, a coach, their church leader, their best friend's mom or dad, their camp director, Yes. Asking whoever it is in charge of the space where your child spends time and who has an eye on them to join you in creating, you know, not so much of a safety net, as I think more about it, but a well-being net. I mean, isn't that right? I mean, it's what we do for each other. We are in relationship with each other. And These special people in your child's life may be able to offer suggestions on what to say or another perspective to consider if you ask. We just want them to love our kids too. And if we ask them, well, it's an honor to be asked as it shows we have entrusted them with our child or kid's well-being. And I think that when you ask, It's a simple request to care, to be observant and alert with a set of loving eyes and open ears. It's what we do for each other. And if you were entrusted with the care of someone's child and they asked you to be on alert, you'd be honored. And you would want to give thoughtful observations because your heart would be moved that they asked. We are wired to do this for each other. We are. We are all so interconnected. And when you ask others for help in delivering painful news, or you ask for their input on your planning for how you will deliver painful news and just what you plan to say, you might just find that you experience the gift of clarity simply by formulating your request.
4: You know what you need. Just ask. We are never alone when we reach out and when we reach up. Life is so precious. Sending love.
1: Hope for everything. Obtain everything.
0: You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Please subscribe on our site, blinkofanipodcast.com on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen. If you have a story to share, please contact Louise Flip directly. Louise at com. She would love to hear from you.